I want to speak to you on steps to spiritual maturity. Steps to spiritual maturity. We've been talking about how the Word of God tells us we should continue to go on in the Lord. And in 2 Peter 3, 17 and 18, Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. Peter was constantly warning people, be steadfast, stay in there, don't back off, you'll fall. He said, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and evermore. You see, the Word talks about the fact that a seed has been dropped into our heart. And the soil in our heart determines the end result of what happens with that seed. If it's a hardened soil, Satan will come and take the seed away. If it's a soil that's too shallow, when pressures come up, it'll die out. If it's thorns and thistles, it'll be choked out. And he says that's the cares and the riches, deceitfulness of riches of this world. They'll choke it out. But he said that if it's good soil, it bringeth forth fruit. And he said the one that has the good soil is someone who hears and obeys the Word of God. And so when Peter's talking about the fact that we need to grow, he's saying there's a seed inside of you. You need to let that seed grow in you, and by it growing, you grow also because you become conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And there's a lot of people today who try to attack it in different ways. You'll see all kinds of radicals out there. I guess the best way I can say it, some people fly at the world in a revolutionary way. Peter was like that when the men came into the garden to get Jesus. He grabbed his sword and chopped off the servant's ear. And Jesus had to put it back on. And you remember when James and John, they weren't, the men around there weren't doing what they were supposed to do. And he said, Lord, should we call down fire and brimstone from heaven and consume them? And Jesus said, you don't know what kind of spirit you are of. There are a lot of people today that would just like to go out and burn the world. Fly at the world. When you have people who are brand new Christians who are over-enthusiastic, I mean, they're going to go out and just do it overnight. Like the young fellow that I heard about that strapped his 22-pound Bible to the back fender of his little Honda motor scooter to go out and become a missionary to Hell's Angels. You know, a lot of enthusiasm. They're just going to hit the wall full blast and just see everything go flying in different directions. The Dominion theology that's out today, they're flying at the world and saying, say whatever you want to. God's already told us we're going to take over the world. We're going to set up a whole world kingdom, and then we're going to set up, build a throne, and then Jesus is going to come back and sit on that throne. Wrong. God's not going to let us stick our thumbs in our armpits and brag about that. There's not one form yet of government that God has allowed on this earth that's ever come out on top to honor and glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. This nation is the one of the only nations I've ever known that was founded upon the Word of God and dedicated to the glory of Jesus Christ. And look where we are. Like someone said, if Patrick Henry thinks that taxation without representation is bad, he ought to see it with representation. No nation has ever yet stood because the heart of man is so wicked. Some people fly at the world, others fly from the world. They try to hibernate, they try to pull away. Of course, years ago it was called the Yippies and the Hippies and all those that wanted to, uh, you know, just stare at their own navel and, or light a candle and stare at it until it goes out and build their own communes. Nowadays we've got some like that that want to go to the mountains and, and get a whole bunch of believers just like them in a little community there. In all the experiences I've seen of this, everyone that's ever come away from it said it's the closest thing to hell on earth. God never expected salt to be in, by, in boxes by itself. Salt is supposed to be sprinkled out and become a purifier and to retard spoilage in the world. 
But some people think, oh, no, God wants us to get up in the mountains and build our little cabins and build our little circle and, you know, uh, line up the guns and bury the guns so that if anybody comes in there, we can kill them for Jesus' sake and, and fly away from the world completely. Little flock, some of them have little flock syndrome with just us four and no more and nobody else is going to get to heaven but us. And that's not the answer either. The end result is going to be you'll die if you don't go out and manifest. You see, if you get impression of God's word without expression, before long it'll spell depression for you. You've got to go out and do what Jesus said. He said, ye shall be witnesses unto all the world. And as you're going into all the world, preach the gospel. He wasn't talking to preachers. He was talking to believers. And God wants us just to share the light, be salt, be a light, be a witness everywhere we go. And then there are others, sorry to say, many in the church today that fly into the world. They become like the world. I've heard people lately say, oh, come on, Pastor, this is the 90s. Had someone else say one time, hey, this is Florida. Another one sometimes said to a pastor, this is California. You know, there's a special translation of God's word for that state, you know. These are the 90s. I mean, you've got to get up to date. Every time I read the word of God, it tells me one thing. It doesn't make a difference whether it's the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, or 2000. It said, be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind. That you may prove that that which is of God is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, I want to tell you something. There are an awful lot of people today that profess to be Christians. You can't see one whit of difference between them and the world. And I want to tell you something else. They're going to be shocked in that day. Many of them are going to say, Lord, didn't we preach in your name and cast out demons and do many wonderful works? And he said, then shall I profess them? And they say, oh, now wait a minute. You're saying we're getting to heaven by works. I'm not saying at all. But I do know that the Word of God says that we are to walk in the light as he is in the light. And we're to come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. You can't fly at the world. You can't fly from the world. You can't fly into the world. But there is a pattern for spiritual maturity. And the first one is, and I, I think I've shared this from time to time in, in different parts of sermons before, but I, it's so important for us to understand. And the first thing is, we have to become forgetful. Now, for me, that's not really a problem. Like I told you, sometimes I hide my own Easter eggs. I, I just I can't find them. That's the problem. But I'm not talking about that kind of forgetfulness. But there is a forgetfulness that I thank God for, and that is when other people offend you, that you forget it. The Scripture says you're not easily offended. You don't take up offense. When people say things to you, rather than take offense, you just pray for them. Say, Lord, they've got a problem, and I'm just praying that you'll minister to that situation. You see, most people today, Satan has placed within them little red buttons, and he knows exactly how to punch them, and if we've got a partner in the house, they usually know how to punch those buttons too. I mean, they are professional at it. They know exactly the right inflection of the voice to use, the right hand action to use, the right sneer on the face to use, and it just, boom, it hits that button, you know. And we've got to come to the place where we just eliminate those buttons. Say, Father, in Jesus' name, I rebuke and renounce and separate myself from those buttons. That sin, I'll not have it in my life. And I'll not remember the hurts of the past. I put them under the blood once and forever. I'll never bring them up again. Do you know what excites me from time to time when I'm talking to somebody and they'll say, do you remember back there when I said such and such about you? And before God, I can say, you know, I don't even remember that. I think, thank the Lord. I really can't remember that. Why? What good would it do? I don't want something down there chewing me up. Remember what I said when you get an ulcer. Doctors don't ask you what you're eating. They ask what's eating you. That's why the Lord says, forgive, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. If you don't, it'll eat you up. I know of a person who was totally disabled and had to be retired because of arthritis, only to find out later on when she became a Christian that she was filled with hatred for her mother. 
And when she repented of it, she was set free completely from a spirit of hatred and resentment and bitterness and arthritis. And today she's functioning fine. That's why the Lord doesn't say don't hold resentment toward people because he wants to let you be miserable. He says it because he wants you to be happy. And so that's one aspect of, of forgetfulness. But you see, the other thing is to forget the world and the past ways that you tried to live. One of the greatest problems that God had with Israel is they always remembered something the good old days. Let me show you what I mean. Exodus, the 16th chapter. Exodus chapter 16. And they took their journey from Elam, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came into the, under the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after their departure out of the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of Israel were rejoicing and thanking God that He had opened the Red Sea for them, and He had performed all the miracles in Egypt and had killed all the Egyptians in the Red Sea and had been providing for them all the way through the wilderness, and they began to bless the Lord. That's what it says, isn't it? It's a different translation here. And the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness, and the children of Israel said unto them, to Aaron and Moses, Would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots, and when we did eat to the full. For ye have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. They forgot the fact that they were being beaten every day and had to go get their own straw to make the bricks. Forgot that their children were being put to death. Forgot all these, all they could remember was the good things of the world back behind them. In Numbers, the 14th chapter, Numbers chapter 14, verses 1 through 4, and all the congregation lift up, lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. This is, you know, after they were told they couldn't go into the promised land that we just were talking about last Sunday. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, and the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God that we had died in this wilderness? And wherefore hath the Lord brought us unto this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and our children should be a prey? Were it not better for us to return into Egypt? And they said one to another, Let us make us a captain, and let us return unto Egypt. In both cases, God had to judge them for that. Look in Ezekiel, the 23rd chapter. See, this was going on all the way through. With Israel. They never wanted to forget Egypt. Ezekiel, the 23rd chapter. The prophet finally had had enough of it, evident about it, and the Lord did too. Ezekiel 23, beginning with verse 22. Therefore, O Holabah, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will raise up thy lovers against thee, from whom thy mind is alienated, and I will bring them against thee on every side, the Babylonians and all the Chaldeans, Pekod and Shoah, and Koah, and all the Assyrians with them, all of them desirable young men, captains and rulers, great lords and renowned, all of them riding upon horses, and they shall come against thee with chariots, wagons, and wheels, and with an assembly of people which shall set against thee buckler and shield and helmet round about, and I will set judgment before them, and they shall judge thee according to their judgments. I will set my jealousy against thee, and they shall deal furiously with thee, and they shall take away thy nose and thine ears. Whoa, sounds like a wonderful party, doesn't it? When they'd captured them in those days, they'd cut their ears and their nose off. And thy remnant shall fall by the sword, and they shall take thy sons and thy daughters, and thy residue shall be devoured by fire. They shall also strip thee out of thy clothes and take away all thy fair jewels. Thus will I make thy lewdness to cease from thee, and thy whoredoms brought from the land of Egypt, so that thou shalt not lift up thine eyes unto them, nor remember Egypt any more. God says, I'm sick and tired of you looking back all the time and telling how wonderful it was back there before you started following after me, before I started taking care of you. He said, if you think you've had a bad now, wait till my jealousy comes up in my face and they come and cut off your noses and your ears 
and take you into captivity. Then what? You see, God hates for us to go back and reminisce about the good old days back in the world. And I know of a lot of people that will stand around and say, man, I can still remember back there when we used to have those great parties and we were drinking. Just having... And I think, no, the Word says we're to forget those things as things we should be ashamed of. We don't go around bragging about what we did in the past. Genesis 19 is where the story of Lot's wife, when they came out of Sodom and Gomorrah, someone said her heart was still in Sodom and Gomorrah when she left. God said, when you go out, don't look back. Keep on going. Scripture says she looked back and turned into a pillar of salt. God judged her immediately for it. That's why in Colossians 3, 1 says, if ye then be risen, actually the Greek word is, since you then are risen with Christ, seek those things where uh, above, which are above where God sitteth at the right hand of the throne. Don't think about earthly things anymore. Colossians 3, 1. Don't set your affections on things of the earth, but set your, th your affections on things of heaven. Forget about this earth. In fact, the scriptures say very clearly, you shouldn't even have any desire for the things of this world. When you do, that is idolatry. Forget those things that the world desires. And then Jesus, in Luke, the ninth chapter... Luke 9:62 said, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. What was he saying? The same thing he was saying when he said, If you're going to go out and build a house, make sure you've sat down first of all and found out how much it's going to cost you so you can be sure you can finish it. If you're going to go to battle, make sure that you can win the battle before you go and fight the battle. He's saying, If you say you're going to follow me and put your hand to the plow and begin to plow, don't look back again. Because the minute you look back, you'll make a, a crooked furrow. Keep your eye on the front. Watch looking ahead to the will of God and Jesus Christ, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of faith. Don't look. If you look back, you, don't, you aren't even fit for the kingdom of God. Why? You're still loving the things of the world. Forget the world. Forget the things of the past. Set your eyes on me and do not let up. Come all the way through. And when you come out the other end, he says, you'll hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, Paul the Apostle in Philippians, the third, the third chapter, Philippians 3 Express this as clearly as it can be expressed, I think. Philippians chapter 3. And he said, the things that you've heard from me, you do also. Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things, and again, that Greek word forgetting, the, the tense of that word means completely forgetting. Completely forgetting not partially forgetting, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto things, those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal this unto you. Rule number one, if we're going to mature, forget past offenses and also forget the past life. Set your eyes on Jesus Christ and walk in a newness of life in Christ Jesus. When I first became a Christian, I would start to give my testimony and I would start to tell what I was involved in before I was a Christian. And I would begin to, after I got through, I began to, you know, I didn't need to say that. I didn't need to tell all that thing, all those things. And I began to realize after a while what we really need to do is not glorify our past, but glorify Jesus Christ who set us free from our past. And this is what I'm saying. Forget those things in the past. Now, you're a new creature in Christ. You've got a whole new life before you. Seek those things which are above where Christ said at the right hand of the Father. And next week, we're going to get into another aspect of maturing in the Lord. You know, some people say, well, you know, I'm really mature in the Lord. I, there's times that I don't feel mature in the Lord. It's not easy always to practice even what I preach. 
I told you about the pastor that went overseas to, to speak for his missionary over there, and the pastor said, well, how am I going to do it? They don't understand my language. And he said, well, I'll interpret for you. He said, I've never done that before. He said, well, let's just try it. He said, you go ahead and practice your preaching, and I'll... And I'll he said, I'm not used to practicing what I preach. Father, I pray tonight that each one of us will have the desire in our heart to grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I pray that we'll grow up in you and that others will be able to see Christ in us every single day. And Father, we'll not let the enemy defeat us. We'll not let the enemy discourage us. But we'll realize greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And that you said you'd never leave us and you'd never forsake us. And you're faithful. We're believing you for that tonight. And Father, if there be those who have had their hands on the plow and begin to look back, I pray tonight they'll repent and say, Father, forgive me. I'm going to go all the way. I'm going to higher ground. I know this is pleasing in your sight, and I pray that we'll do those things that are pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' precious name we ask it. Amen. I won't speak long tonight because of the time. I want to share some more with you concerning steps to spiritual maturity. God is interested, greatly interested in one thing in our lives, and that is that we do not stay where we are, that we grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Yes, 2 Peter 3:18. We should take seven, verse 17 with it, though. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing that ye know these things before, beware lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Ephesians, the fourth chapter, verses 11 through 15. Ephesians 4, 11 through 15. Paul describes to us the reason that Christ gave men, gifted men in offices for the church. He said, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying or building up of the body of Christ till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What he's saying here is there will be a need for apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, and evangelist until the church comes to that point of total maturity. How many of you know the church isn't there yet? So the need is still there. That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie and wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things which is the head, even Christ. Growing up into Christ means we come to the place where we can sustain and, uh, ourselves and, and begin to bless and multiply ourselves in others. Telling faithful men who will tell faithful men who will tell faithful men. Paul the Apostle says that that's why Christ placed in the body gifted men to edify you, strengthen you to where you come up. And actually what I believe again is that God raises, calls someone into the ministry and calls in others under him to support that ministry. And out of that same ministry he'll cause others to come up and go out into their own ministry from it. God wants us to not stop until we come to a place of maturity. And by the way, I haven't found anyone yet that's totally matured in this life. They are maturing. I've talked to men who are 80 and 90 years of age and have been Christians since they were teenagers, and they say, well, I've, I've not arrived yet. In case some of you are wondering when it's going to happen, I haven't found anyone yet that can tell me. The first rule in maturing is what? Being forgetful. That's right, to forget the past. The problem that Israel had is they kept remembering Egypt, always wanted to go back to Egypt. Every time things got tough, they wanted to go back to Egypt. 
And in the New Testament, Jesus spoke about the fact that if you put your hand to the plow and look back, you're not fit for the kingdom of God. And then Paul the Apostle said, forgetting those things which are behind, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. God's principle is the same. Once we come to Christ, we're not to look back at the world. We're not to look back at Sodom and Gomorrah and hunger for the leeks and garlics of Egypt. We're to go on and look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Now, until we establish that in our heart, that we can no longer go back. And I want to tell you something. I see many, many people calling themselves Christians who are just living a lifetime like this, constantly looking back, thinking, I wonder if I missed out on something back there. I want to tell you something. Back there has nothing to offer me anymore. And that's why I tell people, burn your bridges back there. I had to break off relationships. I had to forget many of the things that at one time were goals in my life that weren't pleasing to the Lord. I just had to drop them. And never do I want to have an appetite and go back and say, you know, that must have been, would have been better back there. Because there's nothing better than the perfect will of God. Forget the past. Now, I didn't emphasize this totally last week, but it should be emphasized. That means forget your past failures, forget your past hurts, put them under the blood, and go on. Many people will go through the rest of their life using those things of the past as an excuse as to why they can't be what God wants them to be. But the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. And once we put it under the blood, we're to forget it. God's forgotten it. We need to forget it. We need to go on. And I have people say, well, if you'd have known my father, if you'd have known my sister, if you'd have known my uncle, if you'd have known all these things, it doesn't make any difference. It's under the blood. Let the Lord heal it. Forgetting the past. Then secondly, is to remember now God's faithfulness. If you're going to grow, you have to establish in your heart the fact that God is absolutely faithful. In Judges chapter 8, Judges chapter 8, right after Joshua, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Chapter 8, God tells us what was wrong with Israel in its walk with God. Judges 8, 34. And the children of Israel remembered not the Lord their God, who had delivered them out of the hands of all their enemies on every side. Did you get that? The reason they had problems, they always remembered Egypt, but they forgot God. They forgot God's faithfulness, that God had brought them all the way through the wilderness. And the children of Israel remembered not the Lord their God who had delivered them out of the hands of all their enemies on every side. And I want to tell you something. There's many, many times believers fail to remember the faithfulness and the goodness of the Lord in the time of emergency, in the time of danger, in the time of stress. They forget all the other things. That's why, that's why I tell you in the back of my Bible I've written down all the special things that's happened in my life as a Christian so whenever I begin to hit bottom... I have to look up to see bottom. I go back and say, God, you were faithful there. You were fa I remember the pressure I was under there, there and you were faithful. You're, God, you're always faithful. And we have to come to that place where we never forget the faithfulness of God. In our fact, that's why David was called a man after God's own heart. David constantly recalled the faithfulness of God. Look at Psalm 89.1 with me. We sing it all the time. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. With my mouth will I make known thy faithfulness, thy faithfulness to all generations. Everybody I'm around, I'm going to tell them about, sing about God's faithfulness. Psalm 119, Psalm 119, beginning with verse 89. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Thy faithfulness is unto all generations. Thou hast established the earth, and it abideth, it stands fast. They continue this day according to thine ordinances, for all are thy servants. 
unless thy law had been my delights, I should then have perished in mine affliction. I will never forget thy precepts, for with them thou hast quickened me. Thou hast granted me life, in other words. You've made me know. And there in verse 90, he says, Thy faithfulness is unto all generations. Thou hast established the earth, and it abideth. In other words, day and night, light and dark, all these things are in order. All the galaxies are in order. You ordered them. You put them in order, and you're so faithful. We don't have to get up and say, I wonder where the planets are going to be next month. You can just plot it, and it's, plot it, and it's going to be right where it's supposed to be because God established it. Why? God is faithful. And if you and I are going to mature in the Lord, we have to come to the place where it doesn't make any difference. What comes into our life, the first thing that comes out of our mouth is God is faithful. God is faithful. Who will not suffer me to be tempted above that I am able, but will with the temptation make a way to escape that I may be able to bear it. God is faithful. If you want to go through life with ulcers and constant pressure in your life, just don't let this become an established fact in your heart. Because the devil's going to throw everything he possibly can at you until he finds out it doesn't do any good. If every time he throws it at you, you say, Thus saith the word of God, God is faithful. He cannot fail. He cannot fail, for he's God. The songwriter said it beautifully. He cannot fail, for he is God. He cannot fail. He's pledged his word. He cannot fail. He'll answer you. He can see you through. He cannot fail. He'll answer you. God absolutely cannot fail. Now, that doesn't mean that whatever we decide to do, that is automatically God is responsible and obligated to do what we want to do. God is faithful to do what He wants to do in our lives. And that's why we pray to seek God's direction and God's guidance to open and close doors to make us to know and understand His perfect will and way. Once we understand it, we can just walk right on in it. But until then, we just simply stand and say, I don't understand it all, but I know this much, God is faithful. He says, oh, I will not, I will not, I will not let you go, I will not, I will not let you down. God is faithful. If you can forget the past and begin to establish the fact that your relationship with God is such that He cannot fail you because He's faithful, you're on a good ground to start. Let's turn to Psalm 63. talks about God's kindness and His mercy. And you and I have to know, let me tell you something, we have to know that God is merciful and kind. If we didn't understand this, we could not face the next day because we failed God so often. When the children of Israel used to sin against God, they would have to take an animal walk it all the way through all the tribes in front of everybody. So, oh, there goes Jacob. He must have messed up again, you know. And take it to the priest and have the priest offer it as a sacrifice. And he had to do it in front of everybody. God is so merciful today, though, we can bow our heads and ask him for forgiveness and claim cleansing through the blood of Christ and be reunited and reestablished re in our fellowship with the Lord because of His mercy and kindness. Psalm 63, verses 3 through 7. Because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. Thus will I bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips. Not your heart now, your mouth. Not your heart now, your mouth. Not your mind, your mouth. Why? Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. If you've got praise in your heart, it'll come out of your mouth. When I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches, because thou hast been my help, therefore in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. Now, David said when he was going through trouble, how many of you lie in bed from time to time at night and start thinking over all the things that you're facing the next day and have a hard time sleeping? Well, David, when he had faced that, he would go back and begin to remember how God had been faithful to him in the past. I will remember thee upon my bed, meditate on thee in the night watches. 
He's remembering the mercy of God and the goodness of God in his life. Therefore, in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. Now, we don't know exactly what David is saying there unless he was remembering the cherubim that had their wings spread over the mercy seat as a place of God's protection. Or if he was actually saying that the Lord's wings are over him. Like Jesus said, I would have gathered you as a hen gathers chicks under its wings, but you would not. But he knew the comfort and protection of the Lord. He says, my soul followeth hard after thee. Thy right hand upholdeth me or holds me fast. Psalm 105. Psalm 105, verses 1 through 5. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. He's talking about testifying. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. By the way, Psalm 105, here's an explanation of how to worship the Lord. If you want to know how to worship the Lord, here's the definition of it. Give thanks unto the Lord. Call upon His name. In other words, pray. Make known His deeds among the people. There it is again. Testify. Sing unto Him. Sing psalms unto Him. Talk ye of all His wondrous works. You see how many times your mouth gets involved? Praising, testifying, singing, talking. You talk about the goodness of the Lord. You see, whatever you're full of, that's what spills out. Talk ye of all His wondrous works. Glory ye in His holy name. Let the heart of them rejoice that seek the Lord. Seek ye the Lord and His strength. Seek His face forever. Remember His marvelous works that He hath done, His wonders and the judgments of His mouth. And one more is in Psalm 77. David says, I cried unto God with my voice, even unto God with, the voice, with my voice, and he gave ear unto me. In the day of my trouble I sought the Lord. My sore ran in the night and ceased not. My soul refused to be comforted. There he was in real dire straits. And what? I remembered God. I remembered God and was troubled. I complained and my spirit was overwhelmed. Selah. Selah means, well, think of that. Just think of that. Thou holdest mine eyes waking. I am so troubled that I cannot speak or I cannot pray. I have considered the days of old, the years of ancient times. The Living Bible says, I keep thinking of the good old days. Hear people talking about the good old days. I call to remembrance my song in the night. I commune with mine own heart and my spirit made diligent search. He's saying that's the way it was at one time, but it's not that way now. And then he starts in doubt. Once you start doubting, once you start worrying, you go down deeper and deeper. And he said, will the Lord cast off forever? And will he be favorable no more? Is his mercy clean gone forever? Doth his promise fail forevermore? Hath God forgotten to be gracious? Hath he in anger shut up his tender mercies? How many of you have ever prayed that or said that? God, where are you? You've forsaken me. You've left me, Lord. David was getting down to the dumps. And then he said, and I said, here's the turning point. This is my infirmity or my fate, but I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember thy wonders of old. I will meditate also of all thy work and talk of thy doings. What's he saying? I am going to get my mind out of this rut of depression and despondency and discouragement and fear. I'm going to begin to talk about the Lord and what he's done in the past and how faithful he is. There's only one way to get out of depression. That's to begin to praise the Lord and talk to the Lord and tell the Lord, declare to the Lord His goodness in the past and your trust and faith in Him for today. Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Who is so great a God as our God? Thou art the God that doest wonders. Oh, now he was talking about the good old days. What does he say now? Thou art, in other words, right now, presently, you still demonstrate 
Thou art the God that doest wonders. Thou hast declared thy strength among the people, or thy awesome power amongst the people. You perform miracles right now, God. Thou hast with thine arm redeemed thy people, the sons of Jacob and Joseph, Selah. The waters saw thee, O God. The waters saw thee and were afraid. The depths also were troubled. The clouds poured out water. The skies sent out a sound. Thine arrows also went abroad, or thy lightning. The voice of thy thunder was in the heavens. The lightnings lightened the world. The earth trembled and shook. Thy way is in the sea. In other words, he said your road was through the Red Sea in another translation. Another one says that it's, it's a, well, it said the sea, and thy path is in, great, in the great waters, and thy footsteps are not known. And another translation says a pathway no one knew was there. When he led the children of Israel through the, the Red Sea, he said no one else knew that path was there, but you knew it. Thou leddest thy people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. He said, remember the faithfulness and the mercy and kindness of God. And David, as a man after God's own heart, constantly referred to God's faithfulness and His mercy and His kindness in his life. And Paul, when he came to teaching concerning the Lord's Supper, he said, the Lord said that when we partake of the broken body and the shed blood, the emblems of the broken body and shed blood, do this what? In remembrance of me. God keeps saying, remember me. Remember my steadfastness. This will bring steadfastness into your life when you continuously remember the goodness and the mercy of God. And I've had people that I've ministered to in the past who will come and tell me that God did this and God did that to them. And I said, no, that's not God. The devil's just kicking the slats out of your crib. No, oh, no, God's doing this to me. And he can just do whatever he If he wants to, if he, if he gets a kick out of it, let him do it. I said, that isn't God. I know God. That's not my God. You see, my God is faithful and he's merciful and he's kind and he's gracious. So many times as a pastor, I hear people say, why is God doing this to me? Well, first of all, if, if it's a, a trial of our faith, the Word of God says that we're not to try to squirm out of it. We're to rest in the faithfulness of God and His promise that He will bring us through. It says, don't try to squirm out of it, but let patience have its perfect work because it'll cause faith to grow in you. Every time God sends something toward you to cause you to go through a time of difficulty, it's because He's getting you prepared for something greater. Remember stirring up the nest? Time of real emotional distress. God is just getting them ready for something greater. Can you imagine the eagle sitting there in the nest saying, I don't want to leave this nest. And a few weeks later soaring in the heavens saying, forget the nest. <laughs> this is so much better. And God many times would try to boot us out of a nest to say, I've got something so much better for you. We can't understand it, but the only way we can go through it is to say, God is faithful. His loving kindness and mercy is forever. And his thoughts toward me are continually good. And because he's faithful, I can trust him. And I'm not going to fear what man can do unto me. I'm going to fear only that I walk with God every moment. Now, this is the evidence of beginning to walk in maturity in the Lord. This eliminates that up and down experience that so many people have all the time in their life. Why? Because, first of all, you've forgotten and recognized that the, the world has nothing to offer you anymore. You forget Egypt. Forgetting all those things in the past. There's a lot of them that Paul says Christians shouldn't even talk about. But then you begin to remember how faithful your God is. Don't forget God. Don't forget the faithfulness of God in your life. He was faithful because, first of all, He allowed you to get saved. Then He's faithful because He's brought you through so many experiences. And I, and I look over this congregation and I see, see people here that in the past have had experiences that just seemed overwhelmingly impossible. There's just no way. And I kept saying in my heart, but God will make a way. Be faithful. God will make a way. Yeah, but I don't know that I can afford to do this. You can't afford not to do it. Be faithful. Be faithful. If you're faithful, God will be faithful to you. And I've seen many others who have come and gone who were like this because they wouldn't get faithful. 
constantly looking back, constantly saying, I don't understand why God's doing this to me, and bitterness rising up in their heart, forgetting the faithfulness of God. I want to tell you something, they won't last. They won't last. They won't get into the promised land. They'll die with the other the million that died out in the wilderness. If we're going to go on with the Lord, grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord, it means we come to the place where we understand God's nature toward us. You know, when you meet someone, you may be strangers, but somebody says strangers are just friends you haven't met yet. And when you first meet the Lord, you're kind of posturing to find out what it's like. There's some people, the more you get to know them, the more you love them. The deeper it gets and the more wonderful it gets. And that's the way the Lord wants you to get with Him. David meditated on his bed at night, just on the Lord. You know, that's a lot better than laying there worrying about how's this going to work out and how's that going to work. Lord, I just committed all to you. Thank you that my steps are ordered of you. Thank you, Father, that you said that you would direct and order me in the way I should go. I'll hear this small voice behind me saying, this is the way walk you in it. I'm going to walk in the peace of God. I'm going to make that the rule. If the peace is gone, I won't move. If I get the peace of God, I'll go forward again. And I'm not going to look at what I see. I'm going to look at what I sense from you because you're faithful. How many of you know God's just looking for people that will trust Him that way? Why? Because He wants to get glory. He wants to be praised for His faithfulness. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that we'll learn how to walk uprightly before You. I pray, Father, that You'll give us wisdom and understanding to know exactly the things that You desire in our life. And that as we forget the past and remember Your faithfulness and Your loving kindness and mercy toward us, that every day we'll commit ourselves to you new and afresh and refuse to worry, refuse to doubt, but just simply say, my God is faithful. He will not suffer me to be tempted above what I'm able, but will with the temptation make a way of escape so that I can bear it. I believe that God loves me and has a plan and a purpose for my life and I'm not going to miss it by the grace of God. Let this be the the attitude of every one of our hearts tonight, young people and old alike, that will begin to walk in faith and know that you called us with a purpose. You chose us. We didn't choose you. You chose us and ordained us that we might go forth and bring forth fruit. Lord, make us to be fruitful and productive as a body of believers and as individuals in particular in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Steps to spiritual maturity. Steps to spiritual maturity. Peter said to the believers, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Paul the Apostle in Ephesians, the fourth chapter, emphasized that same thing and talked about why Christ established the church and those in the church. And it was so that we might grow up in Him. Looking at Ephesians, the fourth chapter, beginning with the eleventh verse. Ephesians 4, 11. It says, and he, Christ, gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers, here's the reason for it, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. That is the purpose of the apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, evangelist, to edify and build up the body of Christ. How long are they to do it? Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect or mature man, unto the measure and stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie and wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love, what? May grow up in Him. May grow up in Him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, 
from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Paul says that we're supposed to grow up in the Lord. And how do we do it? Step number one was what? What's the first thing we're supposed to do? Forget the past. That's right. That was the problem with Israel. They didn't forget the past. They kept remembering Egypt, remember? And God judged them because they kept talking about, oh, we need to go back to Egypt. We had it a lot better off when we were in Egypt. You know, God did not promise us a soft ride to heaven. In fact, He said that we would have tribulation. He said there would be with persecutions. There would be all kinds of problems. I read last night to the Bible study group that what is just a foretaste of what's going to be coming, I believe, in this United States in the days ahead, if they can get the legislation passed that they want to pass. And that is a, a Christian group that had a Christian church meeting in France was harassed by the government until the church had to disband. They would not let them go. They just constantly tormented them with everything they could throw at them. The individual Christians who were in business, they tormented them and hounded them with every kind of regulation, stipulation, problem until finally they went bankrupt. Then they came into the homes and took the children out and put them in re-education centers because they said that they had been indoctrinated by these scriptures and had been spanked and had been told they should obey God and obey their parents and they had to be re-educated. The parents had not seen their children since February the 10th. They were taken away from them completely. They have no right to be able to go and pick them up again. They may never get to see their children again if the government has its way. A devastating thing that's happening there. Well, we have to understand that we're living in the last days and there's going to be some horrendous things that take place before Jesus comes. And that's why we have to grow in grace. That's why we have to meet all the more as that day approaches. I don't know but what, and I'm, this is not a prophecy, but this is something I'm just foreseeing in my own mind right now. At the rate things are going right now, within a very few years, there may not be a, a group that will be able to afford to stay in a building. If they start taxing church property and breaking off the deduction for giving to a nonprofit corporation, most churches will not survive. They'll have to try to sell their property, and they'll probably have to sell it in a fire sale because they won't. People, it's a single-purpose building, and people pay whatever they want to. And we may have to go right back to where we just meet together in the homes or in the field or someplace else. You know what? That could be refreshing. This is one thing about it's the blood of the martyrs that's the seed of the church. Probably more people get saved when they see Christians living out their lives that way than all of us cloistering together in little buildings and, and you know, encouraging one another rather than going out and helping those people in our neighborhood. But the first thing he says that we're to do, if we put our hands to the plow, we're not to look back. Don't Just forget the past. Burn the bridges behind. When Elisha went after Elijah, the first thing he did, he had been a farmer, and he took all the tools, the instruments of farming, and he burned them and offered the oxen up as a sacrifice. I mean, he couldn't have gone back to farming because he had burned up all of his farming tools. He, he knew that God had called him to, to do what he was supposed to do. He could not look back. And Paul himself said he, in spite of the fact that he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, he said, forgetting those things which are behind. He said, all those things back there, I count them like cow dung. They're nothing for the excellency of Jesus Christ or the knowledge of Jesus Christ. First thing is forget the past. Secondly was what? Remember God's faithfulness. Again, Israel forgot to remember God's faithfulness. They remembered the past as far as the bad part when they were in Egypt, but they did not remember God's faithfulness. And this is why, you know, when Samuel was working with the children of Israel and they conquered the Philistines, he set up a stone. It was called an Ebenezer. They named it Ebenezer Stone. And it meant, Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. 1 Samuel 7, 12. It's an interesting verse. 1 Samuel 7, 12. 1 Samuel 7, 12. 
Then Samuel took his stone and set it between Mizpah and Shen and called the name of it Ebenezer, saying, Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. So the Philistines were subdued, and they came no more into the coast of Israel, and the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. You need to have Ebenezer's. That's why I said in the back of my Bible, I have a whole page of Ebenezer's. Times when God met my need in the past. David had his Ebenezer's when he was ready to be stoned by his men. He said, I remember, Lord, I, I just, I just, I'm going to rejoice in you. I'm going to just praise you. And when he got ready to go after Goliath, what did he say? He said, you know, when the lion came out after my sheep, the Lord helped me and I killed the lion with my bare hands. He said, when the bear came out after my sheep, the Lord helped me and I killed the bear so they couldn't steal my sheep. And he said, if God helped me back then, God's going to help me get this Philistine dog too. You know, the more you and I have Ebenezer's in our lives where we can look back and see God's faithfulness in the past, it strengthens us to believe that God's going to be faithful in the situation we're in right now. The third thing we have to do in order to grow is to determine. And the emphasis I'm making is on this first word. Determine to make Jesus Christ Lord of all. This is not an option for anyone that's a Christian. It's not enough to say Jesus Christ is Savior. He has to be Lord. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth Jesus Christ as Lord and believe in thine heart that God hath raised from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Jesus did not come to be your Savior. He came to be your Lord and Savior. He came to redeem you that your life might be given over completely to Him. Romans 12, 1 and 2. This was written to believers. He didn't stop by saying, well, you're a believer and that's all you need. He says, I beseech you now, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God. Holy, H-O-L-Y, not W-H-O-L-L-Y. Holy and acceptable unto God, which is your logical, reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove that that which is of God is good and acceptable and perfect. I like the Phillips translation that says, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold, but be a new and different kind of person in all manner of living, that you may prove that that which is of Jesus Christ is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, in order to do that, you have to make Jesus Christ Lord of your life. Will you turn with me to Romans, the sixth chapter? We're talking about determined, being determined that Jesus Christ is Lord and Master of your life. Romans, the sixth chapter, starts off saying, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. It's very emphatic that Paul says, God forbid. How can we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know you not that so many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? He's starting off with a premise here. When you get down to verse 11, he says, likewise, he said, you died with Christ, you were buried with Christ. He says, now, since that's true, reckon ye yourselves to be dead. And by the way, the word reckon, when you reckon something, that's counting on it as being so in spite of your feelings. Count that it's so in spite of your feelings. When you reckon something, I reckon myself to be dead. I may not feel dead, but God's Word says I am dead. I died with Christ on the cross. I was buried with Him. And so I'm reckoning that I'm dead. Reckon you also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. You're dead, but you're alive. How can you be dead but alive? When you used to live, before you were a Christian, you lived for who? Myself. Now we've died to self, and now we live for Christ. 
We live our life for Christ. I've had some people say, well, you just don't know how hard it is sometimes to live for Christ. And I like an illustration I heard this past week. It said that if you had a house with a million rooms in it, and you spent 99.9999999999% of the time in a two-by-two-foot closet, when you had a house that had a million rooms all furnished beautifully, people say, you know, he's really kind of weird. Really, really weird. I mean... He's got that whole house, and there he is, playing around in that little two-by-two-foot closet all of his, almost all of his life. And then the comparison was given. That's just about what this life is like in comparison to eternity. So why get so taken up with that little closet? In the house of a million rooms, that closet is still too big in the light of what eternity is going to be when we serve Jesus Christ. So what does it matter what happens to us while we're here for the few years we're here? We have to give our lives totally to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and for the kingdom of God, not worrying about what people say or what people think. And go on, he says, To reckon yourselves dead indeed in sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Then turn over to verse 17. But God be thanked that ye were, past tense, the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members servant to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now, in the same way, in the same measure, to the same degree, yield your members, servants, to righteousness unto holiness. For when we were the servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. What fruit did you have in those things whereof now you are ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. Paul says, whatever degree you served Satan before, in like manner now give yourself totally to Jesus Christ. And I can remember before I was a Christian, when I awake, first thing I awakened in the morning, I started thinking of all the trouble I was going to get into. And I kept thinking of new things to get into during the day. And when I went to bed at night, I was thinking about what I'd get into, trouble I'd get into the next day. And if we can dedicate ourselves to the purpose and calling of God in our lives just as wholeheartedly, what a difference we can make in this world. Jesus said in Luke 6, 46, Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things I say? Don't call me Lord if you don't mean it. Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things I say? A songwriter wrote that he said, You call me the way and walk me not. You call me the life and live me not. You call me master and obey me not. If I condemn you, blame me not. He says, Let Jesus be Lord and master of your life. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, with all thy mind, and love thy neighbors thyself. Now, I've presented here three things that you can do in order to grow and mature in Jesus Christ. Forget the past, remember God's faithfulness, and determine to make Jesus Christ Lord of all. And I know, just as I was saying it, that there's going to be different responses from different people in the congregation. It amazes me how the words can come out of my mouth and go into everybody's ears, and they're the same words, but the end result is totally different from person to person. I see some people sitting and saying amen many times when I'm preaching, and others sitting there saying, oh me, and others sitting there saying, oh my goodness, when's he going to get done? 
And then you walk out and you ask what I have just said. And I don't know. I don't remember everything. But you see, it's not so important what I say as much as it is important what you hear and how you respond. I guess I can give you an illustration of that by telling if I went calling in somebody's home and here was the child in the house tearing everything up, knocking stuff off the shelves, taking his toys, banging them together. And I walk in and I stand and look at him like I can't believe what I'm seeing here. And the child picks up something and starts throwing blocks at me. That'd be a cold day. <laughs> but the mother says, oh, Pastor Joe, don't pay any attention to him. He, he doesn't mean anything by it. Just ignore it. And I found in, down through the years of my preaching that there are people who just ignore what's said in the preaching of the Word, and consequently they reap accordingly. Second thing, she might say, well, you have to understand he doesn't have a father to correct him, so he's, he's unmanageable. So instead, she's going to avoid it and blame somebody else for the problem. And there are a lot of people, when they hear the Word of God, they'll say, well, uh, I, my background just won't allow that to be, I just can't do that because of my background. I say, I really have to blame my parents or somebody else because of my situation. No, no, no. If anybody had some things to overcome when I became a Christian, I'll tell you, my background was horrible. And the horrible battles and struggles that I went through, but Jesus Christ is sufficient. We can't blame anyone else. When light comes, we have to act on it. We can't avoid it. The mother thirdly could have said, well, now be patient. He'll soon grow up and get married and leave, and then he won't do it anymore. So if you can just be patient with him until then, well, I guess we'll just have to endure it. And many times I've told people what I believe the Word of God says about maturing in the Lord. And, and well, you know, I've been like this for all these years, and I, I, I guess I'll just... One of these days, maybe I'll change, but not right now. In the meantime, I'll just have to endure the way I am. And I want you to know the Word of God says we should not go on when we know the truth we should become doers of the word and act on the truth that we've heard. What is the good soil that Jesus described in the Gospels? He says the good soil that brings forth 30, 60, and 100 fold is the, the soil that when they have heard the word of God, what? Do it. Now, you're either going to do that or else you're going to have thorns and thistles or you're going to have shallow ground and the sun's going to come up or the bird's going to come and snatch it all away from you. And there are many people that just say, well, I'm just going to do it. Then there's the fourth thing, and that is the mother could walk in and say, Son, I want you to sit down right now. That's not acceptable, and you'll not do it anymore. You do, and I'll deal with you instantly. Confront it. A few say, Oh, I can't do that. Jesus said, If your hand offends you, cut it off. Cast it from you. If your eye offends you, what? Pluck it out. He's a radical surgeon. If God shows you there's an area of your life where you're not doing what He'd have you to do, do radical surgery. Deal with it. You say, I can't do that. No, you won't do that. God will, now listen to me, now listen to me, God will not ask you and me to do something that's impossible for us to do. He's already given us the Holy Spirit to empower us. He's given us the Word of God to enlighten us. He's given the Son of God to dwell within us. God the Father is dwelling within us. He has the angels at our disposal. If He asks us to do something, He's already given us the power to do it. The only thing that's blocking is our willingness to do it. And when Peter says, grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we have to confront things and say, that will is not acceptable conduct in your life anymore. I'm confronting you. You will go. You will stop. You will leave in Jesus' name. Now, when you do it, you'll go through some tribulation, some struggles. But if you're consistent and steadfast, always abounding in the work of the Lord, refusing to let the enemy have ground, the problems will begin to dissolve and you'll see victory will come. But we have to fight the good fight of faith. 
being steadfast and unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. We have to forget Egypt and begin to remember the goodness of the Lord and the faithfulness of the Lord already in our lives and then determine that faithful God is going to be Lord of my life without reservation. Every area of my life I give to Him without reservation. Don't ignore it. Don't condone it. Don't avoid it. And don't endure it. Say, by the grace of God, I will grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, once you make that decision and cast all your cares upon Him, resist the powers of darkness and submit yourself to God, moment by moment, He'll keep you. How do you keep you? Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. I see some people going around looking like they could step on their lower lip all day long and wondering why they don't have victory. Well, this isn't going right and this is going wrong and everything's just... <laughs> and the devil comes right along and says, Ha ha, I really got you where I want you. Why? Because it's the joy of the Lord that's your strength. Rejoice in the Lord. How can I rejoice in the Lord if things are going bad? No, things are going bad because you're not rejoicing in the Lord. you got the cart before the horse or the court before the hearse, whichever it is. You've got to get them in proper order. You praise the Lord, but the victory didn't come to Israel until they began to praise the Lord. When we praise the Lord, then the Spirit of God came down and destroyed the enemy. And if you and I will begin to praise the Lord in the midst of our battles, Lord, I thank you for this battle. I know that you're more than victorious. I know that you're more than capable. I submit to you and I resist Satan in this area. In Jesus' name, it will not be in authority over me. God forbid, how can I go on sinning the way I have in the past? Now, I'm not talking about sinless perfection. I'm talking about doing battle. I'm talking about putting on the whole armor of God every day. And obeying the word of God when it says whatsoever things are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, of good report with virtue and praise, think on these things. Say, mine, stop that in Jesus' name. You'll think on this. And you say, well, I do that. And I go right back to it. I say, well, when you say that, then start saying, oh, how I love Jesus. You want to know something? You can't think of those thoughts while you're singing praises to the Lord out loud. Just try it right now. Try to think of something else when you're singing out loud. Oh, how I, let's just try singing. it. I want you try to think of something that you would like that you, you're used to worrying about or concerned about. Try to think about it while you're singing this. And now, wait a minute. I want to say this. I mean, singing it with your mouths open. I see some people. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. No, sing, sing out with all your heart to the Lord right now. Oh, how I love Jesus. And see if you can think another thought while you're doing it, if you're really doing it. Just try it once. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Because He first loved me. Were you able to think of anything else while you're doing it? Now, maybe you women can. But not us guys. I know something. We're so compartmentalized, we couldn't think of anything. But am I saying the words right, you know? But why did I do that? I want to show you something that, oh, that's why the Word of God says, oh, that men would praise the Lord. That's your victory. Renouncing sin, forsaking sin, and begin to sing praises to the Lord. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's how you mature. And I'm still trying to mature. And I've only been a Christian for 42 years. And I'm still maturing. But I'll tell you, it's a lot better than the alternative. When I see some people that just as, just enough religion to make them miserable, not enough to make them happy. You want an inoculation when you see them. I don't want what they've got, you know. It's worse than what Chris has gone through. I, I mean, tell you. Nothing more miserable than backslidden, defeated Christians. Jesus didn't say, I came that you might have backslidden, defeated experiences. I came that you might have life and have it more abundant. But how? In Christ. 
totally yielded to Him, body, soul, mind, and spirit. Now, you have to determine. See, God expects you to use your will. Well, you don't know what I've got at the work. You don't know what I'm facing at home. You don't know what my wife or my husband is like. It doesn't make any difference. He didn't say that you should do this if everything is perfect. In the midst of the storm, trust Him. One last illustration of this. Moses was at the Red Sea. Mountains on both sides. The Egyptians in the back. And the whole crowd churning up like only the nation of Israel could. Oh, we're going to die. Oh, let's go back to Egypt. Well, I wish we had the leeks and garlic. Oh, blah, blah. And says, Moses says, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. What choice did he have? Pharaoh, mountains, and the sea. You know, sometimes God puts us in those positions just to see what we're going to do. If we're going to yell like the Israelites did or like Moses, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And until you learn that, he'll just keep allowing Pharaoh behind you, mountains on the side, and the sea ahead of you. Until you get to the place where you quit complaining, quit grumbling, quit griping, quit looking back, quit forgetting the faithfulness of God, and fail to make Jesus Lord of your life. When you begin to do that, hey, let me ask you something. If Moses knew that if he got killed, he'd go right to be with the Lord, why should he be afraid? The worst thing that could happen to him would be stay alive and have to live on this old earth a lot longer. Now, some people say, boy, that's awfully, you know, that's negative. I'm only telling you what Paul the Apostle said. You can, you can tie up all the things you want to around here and sign as many contracts as you want to around here. Let me tell you something. They're not going to last very long because you're not going to be here forever. I've never seen anyone get by yet. Everybody I've known in all my life, thus far, sooner or later, they hit the door and they pass right out of this life. All the things that they've counted so important. Over with. I wish you could have seen all the projects my wife had lined up. She would have had to live to be 10,000 years old just to finish what she had on hand, and she was still thinking about getting more. Dr. E.J. Daniels, before he died, he wanted it. Well, first of all, he was supposed to have died, and then he said, God, give me a million more souls. He went all over the world preaching, and they recorded over a million people more that came to Jesus Christ through his revival meeting. And then he said, God, not yet. He said, I've got several more books I want to write. God finally says, come on, you're not Methuselah, you know. He called him home. I thought... It's wonderful that he was busy till the Lord came, but I mean, he, he was like a pheasant. When his feet hit the ground, he was running already. Just could not stand still. Just always go, 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 go for the Lord. Thank God there are people like that other than some people saying, oh boy, I've got to go to church again tomorrow. I can't believe this. You know, it's already Sunday again. Now, God help us. This should be one of the most vital relationships we have with one another. Why? Because we exhort, rebuke, lift up, encourage challenge one another in the things of the Lord, bear one another's burdens, become concerned and caring for each other. That's what it's supposed to be. And we mature that way because that's what the body's supposed to do, mature together. Everybody joined together as joints and so forth. Father, I pray that You'll put a spiritual, holy hunger in our hearts that will not cease. For we'll say even as the Greek, the Greeks that came to the disciples said, Sirs, we would see Jesus. I just pray, Father, that that will be the desire of our heart. Every day, more and more, we'll desire to see You. That You'll be high and lifted up in our lives. That we couldn't care less what the world thinks, or the world's appetites are, or what the world's desires are, ambitions and appetites. But we're totally, wholly given over to the Lord. Let us mature and grow in grace in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank You for the blood. We thank You for the cross. We thank You for the Word of God. We thank You for the Holy Spirit. We thank You that You can sanctify us. I pray, God, that You would sanctify us, body, soul, mind, and spirit. 
that we'll be spirit-filled and walk in the spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That others will ask us for a reason for the hope that lieth within us. We ask this in Jesus' precious name and for his sake. And all of God's people said, 